0: Welcome back to the Shema Podcast. I appreciate your listenership. I have an idea, something that I want to do on a regular basis. In every endeavor I have, any project I have, I'm always looking for ways of shortcutting my progression towards that goal. And, of course, my number one project, the one goal I have that I may not even achieve, but to have the goal is going to make all the difference in my life, is to one day become a sodic. And even if I strive every day and I don't get there, at least I know with that objective, I'm going to get way further than if I didn't have that objective to begin with. And we're so fortunate as Jews because when you look at the rest of the world, the people they idolize, they're heroes, they're typically entertainers, musicians, actors, athletes. And they love them and they adore them for the craft at their profession. But when you look at their personal lives, it's typically not too much that you want to try to emulate. But that's not how we roll as Jews. The people we look up to, these these sadics, these amazing individuals alive today and that have lived in previous times. They are so infused with Torah that they are purely just optimized human beings. The stories I hear about these sodics these rabbis around today just blow my mind. They go nonstop on very little sleep. They have totally submitted themselves to the will of the Almighty. And you would think with this total dedication, this total service mentality, all day long with very little sleep And you would think that their total dedication would be restricting and not enjoyable, but yet they are the most joyful, energized, vibrant human beings than you could possibly imagine. And why is that? It's because they are submitting their will to the Almighty at such a level, they know so much Torah, that they are totally tapped in to the infinite. So what is my shortcut system for obtaining this goal? It's the following. Many years ago, I watched an interview with a famous actor. And he was asked how he was able to act out that character with such perfection. And what the actor explained was, is that he would study the script of the character he is going to play and contemplate it day in and day out, thinking through, really getting to understand who this person was. And then many months... Before the shooting of the movie, he would begin to act like that character. He would go into character from the moment he woke up to the moment he went to bed. And what he would discover is that he began to be like that person. He began to experience the world like the the character he was acting as. He would develop the same interest as the character. He would respond to situations like that character. He would sort of become that character. And that's why I want to do this episode and make it an ongoing episode that I do from time to time where I bring on rabbis to talk about these amazing individuals, these sadics of our current generation and generations that have passed. Because the more we can begin to formulate these ideas of of how a sadic thinks and acts, then maybe we can begin to form our own script a script of a sodic that we want to play, and we can begin to go into character and act as if we are that zodic, but allowing our own personality and our own truths to come through. And maybe if we continue to try to perfect playing this role of acting, maybe it may become so natural and we may like playing that character so much that maybe we just end up becoming that character, the Sodic you're going to hear some amazing stories. These are stories that will cause your mental comprehension of what mankind is capable of to soar. So buckle in, because here we go. Welcome to the Shema Podcast, the podcast for the perplexed, where Torah insights intertwined through personal stories as well as interviews with leading Torah scholars demonstrate the empowering qualities of Torah and mitzvot, For more great Torah learning through Torch, the Torah Outreach Center of Houston, go to torchweb.org. Now to the show. I have with me Rabbi Ari Wolby, Executive Director of Torch and host of the Jewish Inspiration Podcast. The reason I wanted Rabbi Ari on here to discuss these stories is it was from him where I got the idea because I study Mishnah Torah with Rabbi Ari. And one of the beautiful ways in which he he teaches is he'll take the idea and always intertwine it with a story. And a lot of these stories are about these amazing rabbis that he knows are that have lived before. And it's from those stories listening to them that gave me the idea to start doing this and share these stories with you as well. So welcome to the Shema Podcast, Rabbi Ari. I appreciate you coming on and sharing these inspiring stories with us. Thank you, Dan. It is an honor to be back on the incredible
1: Shema Podcast. It is my favorite podcast to listen to. Don't tell that to my brother, Rabbi Yaakov Wolby, who is a phenomenal—he's the king of Jewish podcasts. But the Shema Podcast is just so unique and so special, and I love you and I love your podcast really, really very, very much. So it's an honor to be back here. I just want to make a a short— observation on what you said in your introduction that you like to create shortcuts and typically as you know any entrepreneur today we're trying to figure out easier ways to do complicated things the only exception to that is becoming a tzaddik there's no shortcut there there is no shortcut to becoming a tzaddik now while it's a great you know aspiration, we want to become great people but the, it, it takes a process of working on each one of our traits on on building our character, building our Torah knowledge our dedication to Torah study. There was someone who once said about my grandfather, they said, oh, he's he's just acting it out. He's just acting as if he's a, a tzaddik, but he's not really a tzaddik. So the person who actually told me the story responded back to him and said, you know what?
0: If we all act like that for a 100 years, we're good to go. So my whole idea here is... Somewhat rubbish, but not entirely rubbish, because this can be a part of our learning process, studying the, the ways of people who have accomplished greatness. Let me tell you an amazing story. You know, people would come to my grandfather's house all the
1: time, every day, for blessings, for advice, for wisdom. And I, you know, many of these rabbis, the big rabbis, rightfully have gatekeepers so that people don't take advantage of the rabbi and people don't, you know, take too much of their time because most of these holy people don't know how to say no. So my grandfather didn't really have any gatekeepers. It was my grandmother and whichever lucky grandchild was at the house. At any given moment, we'd have to field all the knocks on the door and deal with each case as needed. And I remember on multiple occasions opening up the door and here, I was uh, 16, 17 years old, and there would be a father with a a bright-eyed, Twelve-and-a-half-year-old or almost 13-year-old boy who probably just put on tefillin or his bar mitzvah is going to be that night, and they came for a blessing. And what am I going to tell him? I'm sorry, my grandfather is in the middle of eating lunch now. I, he can't come to the door. So I'd, I'd say, hold on a second, let me check. And I'd come to my grandfather and tell him, Saba, there are people here, you know, bar mitzvah boy, they came for a blessing. And he'd say, no, no. Okay, he'd come, he'd get up, uh, you know, and he'd come to the door, and he would say, what, would you, what do you want? They said, oh, we came for a blessing. A blessing, what, for what, what occasion? He's gonna be bar mitzvah tonight and you know, we wanna get a blessing for him. He wants a blessing. He says, okay, what type of blessing do you want? He says, I wanna become a tzaddik. He says, you wanna become a tzaddik? You wanna become a Torah scholar? Sit and learn! It's not more complicated than that. It's like, you know, sit and learn, practice good, good character traits, and that's it. There's no magic to it. There's no magic bullet of like, you know, we go to tzaddik school and we just become a tzaddik. It, it really is taking the Torah and incorporating it into our daily lives to the fullest of our ability. It's interesting that in the Torah, there are only two people who are categorized as a tzaddik. Number one, the first was Noach. Noah, it says that Noah was an ish tzaddik. And the other was Yosef. Yosef, Joseph was called a tzaddik. And both of them are sages teach was because they were able to overcome temptation noah had a generation of sinners and he overcame that temptation and joseph was being tempted by the wife of potiphar and he overcame that temptation as well and that got them the status of being a tzaddik are they the only ones in the torah who overcame temptation probably not but in a very significant and major way, they got that title. But there's no way to shortcut, fast track the process. Sadly, that, that, I don't think that's a reality. Again, I think the motivation for becoming a tzaddik and getting that level and status is something that is very, very admirable and one that every single Jew should aspire to become a tzaddik, a righteous. A tzaddik really means righteous, someone who's uplifted, someone who's focused on the goal of life. We're here for a very specific purpose. We're not here to make the most out of the material world, but rather to make the most out of the spiritual world. And it's very easy for that to get confused. Even as Torah scholars or as, uh, you know, Torah-observant Jews, it's easy to get caught up in the materialism of this world. A tzaddik is one
0: who stays focused. This is what I'm here for. Here's something that sort of seems unreachable, which is because I'm not there yet. But when you talked about your rabbi, Rabbi Berkowitz, his schedule throughout the day. Now, look at my schedule and, you know, I, I keep very busy, but like there's times during the day, like especially in the end of the day where it's sort of I, I'm no longer doing anything productive. It's just like I need an hour and a half downtime, a pour nice scotch, light a nice cigar and just watch something on Netflix it's just like but they don't have any time like that it's everything's just about study teach do something a, a mitzvah it's just nonstop their life is 100%
1: service of god 100% so now that does not mean by the way that someone who needs to take that break whether it be their scotch and cigar or if it's a, a to go on a vacation my rabbi told me this is not Rabbi Berkowitz, this is a different rabbi, who told me that going on a vacation to rejuvenate so that we can continue our service of God is also service of God. It means we shouldn't look at only when I'm sitting in front of my, my Talmud or my Mishnah or my Midrash or Rambam like we do on, on Tuesday nights. That's not the only time we can serve God. We can serve God when we're going to work and we're providing for our family. And we should have a consciousness that I'm doing the will of Hashem, which is why I'm going to work. I'm not going to work to make money. I'm going to work because God commands me to provide for my family. I'm going to put forward my efforts. So the more we can have this concretized into our consciousness that we are here to be servants of God to the greatest of our ability, without distraction, without interruptions. Yes, so if part of it is that now I know I need that time to just take a break so I can rejuvenate— Great, but we have to make sure also that we find a wholesome way and a pure way to rejuvenate. Just because we need a break doesn't mean we should go out to places that God forbid are inappropriate or see things that are not appropriate means we have to find a way that's not going to distance us it means we can take 10 steps forward in our learning but then God forbid watch one thing that's inappropriate and remove perhaps many, many more steps of our, of our spirituality. So we are the gatekeepers of our environment. We're the gatekeepers of our own spirituality and we have to be very, very cautious that even if we're taking steps towards our becoming a tzaddik, and we need a break, let's make sure that
0: we're very cautious not to lose ground in the process. Okay. I should make sure that I don't rely on Netflix's algorithm when it makes suggestions to me for my next viewing pleasure, because I need to be the guard. Netflix is a very bad resource for our spiritual downtime
1: uh it's a very bad resource now it's not that not that there aren't good things that a person can watch on any platform but again wherever there's evil there's always good and we have to find ways to utilize our time
0: and our you know leisure in a way that's uplifting as well so you know many people that were at this level well and for most of us you're at this level but then when you talk about people beyond you that's what's so mind blowing because I don't even reach the heels, the dust on the feet of
1: our great sages, of my rabbi, Rabbi Yitzhak Berkowitz. I I mean, you're talking about such an amazing person on such incredible levels. You know, it's like, you know, the amazing feeling that I had with my rabbi, my my first rabbi that I had was Rabbi Beryl Eisenstein of Blessed Memory. He grew up in Chicago and he came to, to learn the Mir Yeshiva in Jerusalem. As a young student, you know who came from from America. When you came, you didn't go back. You know today students when they go to Israel to learn, they come back for Sukkot, they come back for Passover, they come back for for summer break. They come. It wasn't the thing. You went. You went for five years. You didn't see your parents. It was it was a very, I mean, really a world of greatness. And and he became. I remember that I used to sit with him every morning, Rabbi Rabbi Beryl of Blessed Memory. We would sit right after Shachras in yeshiva, and we would learn together. We would learn halacha. And more than just learning halacha, he was giving me guidance in how to live life. He was giving me guidance on right from wrong, understanding how to how to navigate life. I remember when I would get up from sitting with him, I felt like I was walking on the clouds. I felt like I just spoke to an angel. It was a totally, it was such an uplifting experience. Sitting, talking, seeking counsel, engaging in Torah study together with such a holy man who was just completely committed to Torah study. That was it he, that was it he cared about. There was nothing in the world that was more valuable to him than sitting and learning Torah. My rabbi currently, I'll just tell you very quickly, it's, you know, the Mishnah tells us it's very important, asayla chorav, you have to make for yourself a rabbi. So Rev Beryl of blessed memory, who's my Rebbe, I would ask him every question, anything I needed guidance on, I would ask him whether it was while I was dating, Sometimes your mind gets a little foggy when you're dating. You don't know what's right and what's wrong anymore. You don't know what's, what's good and what's bad. And I would ask him and he would keep me right on mark, staying focused on what's important. And when I got married, we moved back to Israel. I would learn with my rabbi. Still, I would learn with him every Friday morning. And I remember for a while he wasn't feeling well, and I, I came over to his house with an office chair, brand new office chair that I'd bought in Israel. Uh, it's not common that people have office chairs like we do here. You know, the one you're sitting on, really comfortable. And I, I, I said, you know, my rabbi couldn't sit on any chair because he was his he had terrible. He really had lung cancer, but he didn't tell anyone that he had lung cancer. He said he had some back pain. Nobody knew the degree of how ill he was. He didn't want people to be worried. And he went, to, he was in the hospital. He came back home. I brought him this chair, and that was the chair that he sat on. It was the only chair he sat on, because it was the only chair that was comfortable enough for him to sit on. Do you know that he left the hospital every day, secretly? He left the hospital from his hospital bed. He took a cab to Bnei Brak, where the yeshiva was, gave his daily shear, his daily class— and then took a cab back to the hospital, and they didn't even know he was gone. They thought, oh, he walked out to the restroom. He didn't, you know, he, just, he just walked out, went to give his, because he couldn't live without Torah. Without Torah, he, his life wasn't life. But I hadn't seen my rabbi for a while, and I went to visit him one Friday night after the meal. I was walking with my brother, we walking walking, I lived down the same road, but about two miles down. I lived in Matostov, he lived in Sorotskin, down by Unsdorf, and I decided, you know what, I want to walk into Rebbe, I want to just say Good Shabbos. You know, you have hundreds of people walking the streets after the meal, it's really beautiful. And we walked in, and my rabbi, I see him hunched over his Talmud on the stender on his podium, and he's slouched over it. I looked and he really looked terrible, he looked awful. And I said, Rebbe, how are you doing? He says, Baruch Hashem, I'm doing great. And he was already starting to forget things. He wasn't an old man he was in his 50s. He says to me, where are you learning now? I told him, I'm learning by Rabbi Yitzhak Berkowitz in the Kolel. See, he says to me something very odd. He said to me, make him your rabbi. And I remember joking back to him. I said, Rabbi, are you going someplace? He says, he's a yosher. He's a straight person. Go learn by him. Make him your rabbi. Three days later, he passed away. And I went straight from the funeral which was one of the saddest days of my life. I went straight from the funeral. I went to my rabbi, Rabbi Yitzchak Berkowitz, and I said, "Rebbe, the torch has been passed. I said, you are my Rebbe now. And I told him the story. I told him what my previous Rebbe told me, to make him my Rebbe, And I said, because you're my Rebbe now, I really need to spend some time with you. I need to learn with you. And he's a very busy man. He's such a busy man, Rabbi Yitzchak Berkowitz. He's, you know, from the morning, he only sleeps two and a half hours a night. And the reason he sleeps two and a half hours a night, because the rest of the day, he's busy, you know, fielding questions from his entire community he's a rabbi of a synagogue he's a rabbi of a call today he's also the rabbi of esha torah international the 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 leading rabbi i mean he's got a lot of things going on teaching classes from morning till evening when is he going to have time to learn for himself so he wakes up at one thirty in the morning so that that's the time where people don't come to ask questions so he can learn till seven o'clock till he has the morning services in at chachras in synagogue I asked my rabbi, I asked Rabbi Berkowitz, I said, how did you train yourself? How did you get to be able to only sleep two and a half hours? He says it's over many, many years. He trained his body. You know, he used to need eight hours and then seven hours of 45 and then seven hours and 30, but it's very systematic. I asked him, I said, you know, there's a very famous book, one of, probably one of the best selling books of all art school history is called A Lesson a Day on Lashon Haran, on the teachings of the Chavetz Chaim on proper speech. And half the book is written by Rabbi Yitzhak Berkowitz, my rabbi, and the other is by Rabbi Shimon Finkelman. And one is telling the halachic halacha of the day, and the other is telling an inspirational story or an an inspirational aspect of that halacha of the day. So I asked my rabbi, I said, when did you have time to write this? And he said to me that his bus ride that he used to take from Esha Torah to his house used to take 13 and a half minutes. So every day... On the bus, he wrote one page. He only had 13 and a half minutes. You know, another student in the yeshiva, I heard this story recently. One of the students in the Kolel brought Rabbi Berkowitz a glass of water, you know, at one of his classes. He typically doesn't drink, you know, in middle of a class. And this time was no exception. He didn't drink from the water. The student asked him, like, is everything okay? I brought you a glass of water. You didn't drink it. He said, yeah, I, my, I know my schedule very well. And I know that if I drink this glass of water, I'm going to need the restroom. And I don't have that time to take out of my schedule. That's how calculated every minute of his day is. And that's a real tzaddik. A real tzaddik is someone who lives his entire life with a goal, with a
0: mission of connecting to the Almighty. Okay, so let's drill down a little deeper on this because it does seem like when you speak about Rabbi Berkowitz or I've listened to your brother talk about your your grandfather, about how he would have his hand like on the dinner table. And if you didn't have a use for that hand, didn't serve a, p- a purpose, it stayed there. It was that calculated. And it seems at first glance, if someone's looking at this for the first time, that it seemed robotic. But it's it's really not the case. They're just using, explain, elaborate a little more on this to get people a color of exactly what happens when someone is that calculating on how they're using their their limbs and how they maximize their time. Talk a little about that. When one works on themselves, on their character, what they, what you gain
1: is a control of yourself. So I'll give you an example. A student once walked, I heard this from the student, he once was late to one of my grandfather's discourses. And he was rushing, rushing is finally, he gets off the bus and he runs to the base of Musa, which is where my grandfather was giving his lecture. And as he gets there, he pushes the door open and the door slams right into my grandfather. I mean, full force. And this individual is about six four, you know, 250 pounds at least. He's a big individual. And that door must have hit my grandfather at such force. Didn't even flinch didn't look at who it was, didn't get upset. You know why? Because the thousands of times that he worked on controlling his reflex, controlling his reaction, my grandfather would always say, you know, what would happen if someone right now, where we're looking at each other, imagine if someone knocked on the door or if someone opened the door, what would what would we do? We'd look at the door. Why? We're in synagogue and someone behind us uh, says Kaddish. What does everyone do? They turn around. Why? Because we're curious. But my grandfather would say it's because our minds are not occupied. To control every action and reaction to such a degree, you've got to be on mark. You've got to be on focus. My grandfather wasn't a robot. Very far from a robot. But he was meticulously in control of every faculty of life. Controlling his thought, controlling. It comes, we know, we mention this a lot in our Musar classes in the Jewish Inspiration Podcast, my grandfather would always charge us with a responsibility every time before a new semester in Yeshiva, he would have a little meeting with all of the grandchildren, and we would, you know, we, we asked him for that meeting, and we'd just give us a little bit of a, and he would say that in Yeshiva, when he was learning in the mirror, the rabbi would say, four times a day, overcome your impulse. I'll give you an example. Right now, to my side, I have a glass of water, and impulsively, I would Just reach over and take a take a drink of water. You know what? I'm not going to. That type of control. Five times or four times a day, overcome your will. Why? Because the more we train ourselves to overcome that impulse, the more we'll be able to control our anger. We'll be able to control getting upset about something. We'll be able to control a reaction. I want to say something that's at the end of my tongue. How do I control that? It's not going to come from nowhere. It comes from practice. And when we when we start that practice, you know what? I want to just check up something on Amazon, right? No, nope. I'll do it in five minutes. Just so that I can build up that muscle of self-control. That muscle of self-control is the same muscle that we will use to overcome anger and
0: any negative trait. That makes total sense because there's so much of my activity that is very impulse-driven. Like you said, Oh, I have an idea. I need to buy X. And now it's so easy because you can go to Amazon and do it. And then you'll go to and then another thought will come in, you'll go to another activity. And and it really takes a lot of effort just to block everything out and focus on whatever's in front of you at that moment. I think we need that more than ever now. We're more tempted now to especially with smartphones that like going in a gazillion different directions and never staying focused on what we need to be focused on in that moment my recommendation is that we
1: keep our phones out of synagogue we keep our phones out of the study hall we keep our phones out of the classrooms so that we can have, Time that's just dedicated to our Torah study, to our spirituality, to our conversation with the Almighty. You know, my son is in yeshiva in high school here in, in Houston, Texas, uh, a magnificent mesivta, which is a boys' high school. And one of the things that they have is they have these special programs for the students to learn. It's called birutzifus. Biritzifus means consecutive learning without interruption. That means they'll have an hour program, or a two-, three-, four-hour program, without any interruption. That means, okay, if you need the bathroom, you go to the bathroom, but otherwise, there's no schmoozing, there's no drinking, there's no eating, just Ritzifos. Steady, consistent, consecutive, uninterrupted Torah study. Because our sages teach us that more than just learning a lot of Torah, is learning a lot of Torah consistently, without interruption, that has the impact. So it's getting into a
0: a, a Full control of our faculties that we don't we're, we aren't all over the place. The, the more you talk, the more I think about what I've learned about angels. Angels are are given a mission and they do nothing but go out and execute that mission. And they're entirely focused on that. They're not sitting around the heavens, you know, bored, playing a little poker, schmoozing, and playing games. And on the way, I'll get my job done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're just. And it, it seems like what Torah does when you totally focus on it and train yourself is that you are actually beginning. That's exactly what it is. Is you're becoming an angel. That's exactly what you are. You're you're serving one purpose, and that is the Almighty at all times. So this is exactly what the Talmud says. The Talmud says that if your rabbi is
1: like an angel, ask him to teach you Torah. It's exactly the words of the Talmud. If if he's like an angel, meaning he's he's on a direct mission. A singular mission of bringing godliness, Torah, into this world, and that's really what we're looking for in a rabbi, in a teacher, is someone. Yeah, you know what? We can be living in a world. I know that my grandfather would go to a uh, in the summer. He would go for a week or two with my grandmother. They would go to Tzfat, and like this, it would you know it was nicer weather there. Jerusalem gets very very hot, and like this, it was a little cooler climate. And they were, they, they didn't have as many interruptions for people knocking on the door and, you know, and that way that that was part of their service of Hashem. You can go to the Swiss, Swiss Alps and that be part of your service of Hashem because you see God's glory. You see his amazing creations. That's also an obligation, by the way, is to go out and enjoy the world. It's one of the questions that after we reach our 120 and we're at the heavenly courts, they're going to ask us. I created a beautiful world. Did you enjoy it appropriately? No, why not? Oh, I was busy learning Torah. What do you mean? What? Why did I create the, the world? Why did I create such a beautiful Grand Canyon? So that you enjoy it and you see me in my creation. And if we don't, we're held accountable for that as well. That's part of Torah. But there's a balance. That's it. That's the magic word.
0: Everything in Torah is a balance. So... It's not necessarily sitting and studying Torah all day long, because there are many things that are mitzvot that don't involve sitting in front of a book, like shalom bayit, teaching your children, you know, being a father, visiting the sick. Well, that is Torah too. So all those things are,
1: are Torah. The way in which we interact in shalom bayis in our, in our relationship with our spouse is exactly a carbon copy of the relationship with God. If we appropriately take care of our significant other, that same dedication is what's needed for our relationship
0: with the Almighty. So it sounds like you could have two people doing the exact same acts, but one person's doing it for the reason that this is part of my service to Hashem, and the other person can be doing it just because it's something they want to do, like eating. Let me give you an analogy. So two people go to the ice cream shop together,
1: ice cream parlor. So two people go to an ice cream parlor together. One gets his chocolate ice cream. I like chocolate ice cream with chocolate and more toppings of chocolate and chocolate, more you know, crunched with crunchy chocolate. And my wife doesn't want chocolate at all, she wants vanilla. Okay, so now each of these two individuals get their their ice creams. One says, Baruch Atah Hashem thank you, Hashem, for this delicious ice cream. And the other just eats his ice cream. What's the difference between these two ice creams, aside for their flavors? one became a vessel through which one connected with the almighty and one isn't one is just material the one which became which was used as a vessel for this individual to bring godliness into this world is now no longer a physical food it's a spiritual food the same exact ice cream can be a different ice cream for different individuals by the way physically as well not only spiritually physically it becomes a different ice cream you know the the This whole concept of a physical world and a spiritual world is in the first verse of the Torah. The first verse in the Torah, it says, bara Elohim In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's an amazing thing. You know what God created right in the beginning? These two forces, spirituality, which is the heavens, and the earth, materialism. This is the struggle of life. This is the introduction to all of the Torah. The struggle of life was created right in the onset. You're either going to be heavenly or you're going to be earthly. You can't be both. You're either going to be a spiritual or a physical person. You're not going to be able to be both. Oh, but we have a physical world. Yes, exactly. You know what we're supposed to have on Shabbos? The greatest foods, not good foods, the greatest foods. You know why? Because we take that physical and we elevate it and make it spiritual. It's not separate worlds. We can make them into one, but we have to take the physical to elevate it. And not, God forbid, what sometimes people do is they take the spiritual and bring it down and make it physical. So I don't want to get into too many analogies on that, but there is this concept is sometimes people can do something wrong. They can do something terrible. But they will try to persuade themselves that it's really holy and sanctified because they found someone to give them an endorsement for it. So they, it can be a terrible act, but they sweeten that terrible act by saying, oh, but, you know, we're going to have a Torah class there, you know,
0: as, as just to, to sort of appease their uh, conscience. Because we're not supposed to live in a – spiritual realm. We're supposed to be infusing the physical realm with spirituality, correct? That's what you're saying?
1: Use the physical to become more spiritual. So yes, you know what the Talmud says? The Talmud says that one of the great rabbis bought a beautiful cut of meat on Sunday. He tells his wife when he gets home, he says, this is for Shabbos. And then the next day, he goes back to the marketplace and he finds an even juicier piece of meat. He says to his wife, this is for Shabbos. She says, what am I going to do with what you bought me yesterday? He says, let's have that for dinner tonight. And then the next night, every day, the same thing happened. It turned out that the entire week he had Shabbos. The entire week. Because each one he bought with the intention, this is going to be Shabbos. And the Talmud says that. Right? It, it became for him like a Shabbos on a Monday. He bought it with the intention of Shabbos. And the goal is not to say, well, I'm going to be completely removed. They have other religions do that. They say, oh, in order to be holy, you have to remove yourself completely from physicality. That's not our approach. No, be physical, but elevate it. Eat the food, of course, with balance, but elevate it. Elevate yourself in the process. I want to share with you a story about Reb Shlomo Zalman Arbach. Rabbi Shlomo Zalman Arbach was such an incredibly holy man. At his funeral, I was fortunate to meet him and to be at his funeral as well. And just the smile that he had, the sheer the smile. You know, one of his students was once walking him to his house. So right before he got to his house, he fixed his tie. He, he brushed his hair, his beard, made sure everything. So the student said, like, are you going someplace? You're just walking into your house in a minute. He says, what do you mean? I'm going to meet the presence of God. I'm going to meet the Shekhinah. He says, what are you talking about? He says, yeah, it says that when there's love between a husband and wife, the presence of God is there. I'm going to meet my wife, so I'm going to meet the presence of God to prepare himself. So this is an an amazing person. And when he was a yeshiva student, one of his friends got married. So all the guys from the yeshiva, you know, get on a bus and they're all going to the wedding. But Rabbi Shlomo Zalman stayed behind his friend said what do you mean why are you staying behind he says because how long are we going to be at that wedding we'll be there for two three hours he says how much of that time will we fulfill the mitzvah of being mesameach, the chatan and kala of making the bride and groom happy there's a special mitzvah to make a bride and groom happy he says how much of that time will i make that groom our friend happy he says maybe maybe of the two, three hours I'm at the wedding, maybe it's when I'm dancing with him for five seconds, I'll make him happy. Maybe. It's a chance. But three hours I'm going to waste on a maybe chance that for five seconds I'll make this groom happy. He says, but if I sit and learn now and I learn these three hours, he says in 20, 30, 40 years, I'll come to a wedding for five minutes and guaranteed the full five minutes I'll make the bride and groom happy. And if Rabbi, if Rabbi Auerbach it's like you, you talk about investments in your business, in your livelihood. People make a, a small investment now so that in the future it'll be worth a lot. And Rabbi Arbach saw that as a tzaddik. He was focused on the investment for the future. If I invest these three hours now, in the future, any wedding he'll go to will be guaranteed bringing joy to the bride and groom. And he'll be there for one minute, for five minutes. And that we see when at, at a religious wedding when a rabbi comes in, like the whole the whole place turns around to the rabbi and the rabbi comes in, he dances with the groom and it makes his entire wedding. It's like, this great rabbi came to my wedding. He took time out of his day and he was just there for 60 seconds, danced with the groom and left. Rabbi Shlomo Zalman was making that investment to become someone who's a great person. Now, again, every person needs to make their calculations of whether or not, as a friend, should he go? Should he not go? He made the calculation to become, he had... 250,000 people at his funeral.
0: I have to ask, though, was the friend insulted? I'm sure the
1: friend realized that he was dealing with someone of unbelievable greatness. And likely that when his son got married and Rabbi Shlomo Zalman came to his son's wedding, he was like, ah, it was worth the investment. And perhaps kicking himself that maybe at the
0: other weddings, I should have stayed and learned for those three hours instead of dancing around at the weddings. You know, it's like in business, You you and I were talking the other day when you were teaching me Mishnah Torah about that we should busy ourselves in Torah study like the same way someone would busy themselves in the business world. Like, I'm always talking to colleagues and people on my team that work under me about productivity, You know, focusing. You know, where are your efforts? When are you spending that effort? You know, someone asked about some a data entry task, and I said, "Don't do that during the business day. That's an evening activity. You want to optimize your business day for interactions with others." So when it come and and the world, when it comes to business and making money, are focused in this way. They're learning how to optimize their day, how to make sure they're focusing on the most productive activities. But what I'm hearing from you is that when it comes to a Torah scholar, Zadik, that that idea of optimizing their day for maximum closeness to God is, is what they're doing the same way the rest of the world, the secular world, use that same type principle for making more money. And, you know, we don't say in our prayers in the morning,
1: Lilmo Torah, we say La Sok Torah to be consumed by it, like we do our business, where, you know, if someone's not at his shop for a few hours at night, or when it's snowing, like it is today in Houston, you you don't see it says closed, and they take down the sign, and it's all over. No, it may may say closed, but I'll be back at 9 a.m. A Torah scholar should never be taking down that sign. That means wherever they are, even if they 're closed right now, but in their mind he 's thinking about his shop. One second, is there another product I can feature? Is there another way, another angle I can sell more products tomorrow is there he 's thinking about it even though he 's not even at his work. A Torah scholar, someone who's this is the prayer that what we ask God is God, we don't want to just occasionally learn Torah and get our mind inspired, get our ourselves inspired by listening to a nice lecture. We want to be consumed. Like one is with his business, thinking about a new venture. We want to be consumed by our Torah. That it should be like our business, where it's all-encompassing. Wherever we go, whatever we do, we're thinking about our Torah.
0: Rabbi, I do have to say that the way you describe learning with your, your rabbi, how you would always get up feeling so uplifted. That is how I feel with you when I sit and learn from you. So from my vantage point, you are on a level I can't even, that I'm still striving to get to, but I think to to tell these stories about your rabbis and these people you know, I think the, the idea here I wanted to convey is people just to understand the capacity of man. Because I don't think most of us who grew up in the secular world especially have very low bars for what can be achieved. You know, at the, after the passing of Rabbi
1: Moshe Feinstein of Blessed Memory— my grandfather gave a eulogy. And in that eulogy, he said, our ideas and our concepts of greatness are midget-sized. We don't even have a concept of how great these sages were. It, it was so unbelievably great. You know, we think about the Gaon of Vilna. I mean, you're talking about just like we, can't, we don't even have the words to describe his greatness. But notwithstanding that, in the beginning of Pirkei Avot, of Ethics of Our Fathers, there's a few verses that we say, and one of them is, Ve amech kulam Tzadikim. Your, your nation are all righteous. They're all Tzadikim. We just, we have it within us. We just gotta bring it out. Dan, I, I'd just like to add one more point, and that is that we see King David refers to the tzaddikim, the righteous, as tzaddik katamar yifrach that he will sprout, he will grow and blossom like a palm tree. Of all trees, the palm tree. And if you think about it, the interesting characteristic of a palm tree is that it's very narrow and very tall, and it keeps on growing from the top. It doesn't grow on the sides, it grows up on the top. And the more you trim the old branches, new branches grow up out of the top. I think it's an amazing analogy of how the righteous are supposed to grow. The righteous don't grow from the sides, the righteous grow up. And the idea is that if you fill up a cup and pour out from the sides into other cups, the cup that you started with will soon be empty. But if you keep on refilling the cup and it pours over into the other cups, then it will never be empty. And I think that that's the second idea, is that a a tzaddik is always to be refilling himself and that overflows to his teachings, not to have a limited quantity of knowledge and then pour it all out to your students. Keep on replenishing your own wisdom. The third thing is that a righteous person, if you want to benefit from the relationship with the tzaddik, if you want to benefit from the shade of a palm tree, you have to get very close. It doesn't have a lot of shade. It's not one of those maple trees or one of those other incredible oak trees you have to get close to the palm tree in order to benefit from its shade. And I think that these are three very fundamental principles when we understand the greatness of a tzaddik. The tzaddik is not just a resource that you can just take what you want. It's something you need to really invest yourself to become close to a tzaddik. To become close to greatness, you have to really apply yourself and connect yourself my blessing to you and to all of our listeners on this podcast is that we all find that tzaddik within us. We all find that righteous, holy, amazing, elevated person that we have within us, and we bring it out. We're able to to make it shine not only for ourselves but for the entire world, and hopefully, hopefully really soon we'll be a nation of all righteous people where we're able to identify that righteousness as well. Amen.
0: Oh, Amen. Beautiful Rabbi. I appreciate you coming on and although you sobered me up from a way of fast tracking the process, the overall, the overall goal is, is still good. I hope you continue to come on and share these stories because the more we understand these people, the more we can try to emulate them that will lead to the more Torah study, keeping Torah preoccupied in our minds at all times. So I hope you continue to come on the show and, and share these types of stories with us. It's an honor and a privilege to be on the Shema podcast, and thank you so much again, Dan,
1: for inviting me and for being part of this amazing, amazing avenue of Torah study.
0: Thank you, Rabbi. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Torch so they can continue to spread Torah wisdom to the world by making a donation at torchweb.org and clicking donate in the top right corner of the page. And if you would like to get in contact with our host with comments, suggestions for future topics of learning, For questions for him or his guest rabbis, you may email him at president at torchweb.org.